Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. Today, I'm speaking with Andy Rodden, CEO of Schmoop. Schmoop is an online platform that offers mental health tools, study guides, and test prep to over 8 million middle and high school students across the US and beyond. We discuss Andy's role at Schmoop and what a typical day entails for him as CEO, the way in which Schmoop envisions interaction between teachers and the site, the need to democratise education and the part that EdTech has to play in this, who creates the content on Schmoop and what kind of educational refinement is in place, and finally, Andy's aspirations for the company and what 2022 holds for them. Thanks a lot to Andy for finding time in his busy schedule to talk to me and I hope that some of you may find Schmoop's many functions able to support your students in the near future. If you'd like to stay up to date on the latest podcast, feel free to subscribe via Apple or Spotify or simply follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. Okay, Andy, um, would you mind just explaining your role at Schmoop and what a typical day entails for you? Absolutely. So my name is Andy Rodden. I'm the chief executive officer at Schmoop. Um, here at Schmoop, you know, we're uh, a company that's really focused on easing the stress of the learning environment. We're creating uh, content, we're creating test preparation tools, and we're also creating uh, most recently, um, really mental health and social emotional learning tools that are really meeting the kids, you know, where they're at and helping, you know, students and learners progress through a more complex arena of learning and how we think about how we learn, how we understand ourselves better to be more effective at learning. And, and also, you know, to, to help with some real significant challenges that I think people face have been facing for decades, but maybe, um, I think, you know, as we get more in touch with what we're doing with who we are and kind of our emotions, um, these things are all more than helpful. They actually can kind of change our direction. So uh, a day in the life for me is really uh, spending a lot of time, um, you know, working with our internal teams on strategy as far as, you know, what what direction we go, what decisions we make. I also, you know, run as a CEO, you're you're responsible and accountable for the whole company, right? So um, responsible for sales efforts, responsible for product development, um, you're responsible for finances, um, you're responsible for, um, you know, your your employees, like, it takes a team, it takes an army to accomplish great things, which means all the people that are here, they need to want to be here, right? It's not just there's nothing, <laughs> there's, you know, Schmoop's a cool company, but uh, but it has to be an enjoyable thing to to do it. That doesn't mean it's always easy, right? So everyone needs to be motivated. Um, you need to provide vision and direction as far as you know what's going on, and 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 then also you know you really have to think strategically long term about um, what you're doing every day and how it impacts your your short term goals and also your long term goals. And so it it takes constant thought. In fact, I, I think a you know for a CEO, a day in the life lasts a full twenty four hours. Um, there's a lot less sleep in, in kind of, you know, your day to day. And it's, it's not, it's not because it's just busy, it's, but it's because you're constantly thinking about the direction of the business and how you help students uh, effectively progress, how we get tools into more schools and in the hands of students. And so 
it's a, it's a constant process. And so when you think about it from like a, you know, like during the day physically, it would be meeting with customers. Um, it would be getting the word out as far as, you know, doing things like this, um, like this podcast, it would also be, you know, it, you know, it, we, we get involved with, um, not just the direct meeting of customers, but, but events and speaking engagements that we do to, you know, I would say do more than just market what we're doing, but to share insights. Um, we have customer advisory boards that we, we run uh, to get customer feedback. Uh, I meet internally with the teams. There's a lot of internal meetings as far as making decisions of, you know, what tools and technology we, we use internally to um, what responsibilities and roles that everybody has and how effective they are at, at doing those things. So hopefully that kind of gives a good summation of, of, of a day in the life of, of what we do here. I think that probably applies to a, to a lot of different companies. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is, um, yeah, it's quite a clearance at the 24 hour, um, kind of responsibility, certainly something which I suppose I kind of took for granted. Um, with regard to going back to what you mentioned there about like what you do, how does Schmoop envision the interaction between schools or teachers and the site? What what do you see as the optimum synthesis between educators and the website in order to allow for student learning or going back to like student well-being that you mentioned a moment ago? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first you have to kind of think about what the what the goal is. So if you, if you think about, you know, a student learner or an adult learner, maybe an adult learner being a a university student or even older, someone coming back to maybe approach learning when they haven't done that before. So I kind of put that learner categorization on that persona. You have to understand who you're serving. And so ever since the inception of the company, we've been serving students. And and the intention of how we serve students is we've been trying to make them their lives easier while at the same time you know driving desire for them to want to learn more, for them to want to be more educated, for them to want to have more progress and more be more motivated. And so as, as we progress, it takes motivation in order to, to learn. You, you have to be in the right frame of mind in order to have like a light bulb moment of like, oh, I get how that works. Like the first time you understand why two plus two equals four, you know, if you can think back that far, the concept of, of like that working in your mind is like, oh my gosh, okay, I get it. And then it's like, mm. you know, and, and then it's um, how, you know, uh, maybe a more in-depth um, math or science problem work or how history starts to connect over time. And the interest to kind of want to learn more things is what motivates you to, to, to do that. If you don't have those successful light bulb moments, the motivation factors start to go down, right? You, you start to get frustrated and, and you maybe don't want to have as much progress. You don't want to engage in learning as much. And so we're trying to, we're trying to create more of those light bulb moments for our students. And, and so the way that we, you know, historically started doing that was we, we utilized humor as kind of a, a behavioral science method to keep all of us engaged. We say students, but we really mean all of us because we all use our own product. And so, so the concept for us is, uh, is, is really pretty simple. But, you know, when you, when you think about behavioral science methods being used in modern day applications for things like Instagram, Twitter, um, 
you know, or other platforms that use these methods to kind of keep you, I would say, you could say addicted to, to the platform or, or engaged, yeah. right? So the concept of what we're doing is we're, we're trying to use those same methods, but for good, we're trying to use those same methods, um, but for education. How do, you, how do we keep kids addicted to education? How do you want to just dig in and learn more? If you, if you read something like maybe a book like 1984, it might be dull to read the book. That doesn't mean the book doesn't have tons of insights and kind of relevancy and things to learn and grasp out of it. But, but we, our summaries on the book, in, in some cases, our summaries are actually longer than the books themselves. And so, you know, at, from that perspective, we just keep you engaged. We, we, we make it relevant to you. We keep it fun and, and, and active as, as you start reading our content. And that's on the content side of the fence. Now on the on the learning um, side, on the mental health and the social emotional learning aspect of what we do, we help kids understand who they are. So, you know, there, there's a lot of different factors when it comes to, to learning science. Uh, when you wake up in the morning and you kind of think about going down a path of going to school or going into a place of learning at home or wherever you're at nowadays, um, and, and, you, and you think about reading something or watching a video and digesting it, before you can learn something, you really do have to be in the right frame of mind. If, if you didn't sleep last night, um, if you didn't eat breakfast, if your parents were yelling at you in the morning, or maybe a, you, you just broke up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend at school, you're, you're going to be distracted and you're not going to be able to most likely digest a lot of what's being communicated to you if that's all you're thinking about. So the concept of being in the right frame of mind isn't just a matter of, of changing your mindset and snapping your finger and being in the right frame of mind. It requires some actions to, to change your mindset. And so what we've done with Heartbeat is we're trying to connect students and the teachers, the professors to each other. We're trying to get teachers to understand where students are at, but at the same time, recognizing that not all teachers are the same. Some people will be interested in that and other people won't. So we also provide that information directly to the student. So we really want to provide a, a self-path forward for students, but also insights to teachers to help them understand where their, their class is that morning or, or that week or as things change over time because your emotions change consistently. So, you know, there, there's different things like um, there was a couple examples I shared recently where you know, a student was kind of highlighted for cheating in class and things got kind of went out of control. Um, unknowing to the teacher, there, there really wasn't cheating going on. It was just the student couldn't read the chalkboard. They were turning around and reading the other kids' papers mm -hmm. because uh, they couldn't see the words and the questions. So they were trying to get the questions and then the other kids kind of started ganging up on the other kid and boom, all of a sudden there was like a cheating problem. But, re but really all it was, was the, was the student just couldn't read the chalkboard. Like th these are basic level things. Now in the most extreme level, um, these are, you know, there's a school shooting on a playground or in a neighborhood, or there's a problem that's significant, like maybe, you know, a, a parent that's dealing with, you know, systemic addiction or, you know, what, whatever it is to, to different things. And in those cases, the, the, the kids really have to stand on their own two feet and they need di direction and guidance. So we ask our students a series of questions to understand who they are. And there's thousands of dimensions that we're evaluating and all these things tie together. Um, if, if you didn't sleep and you're feeling a high set of emotions in a variety of ways that we measure, um, your ability to do a math problem or to have reading, comprehension, reading comprehension levels at, at the highest level 
are going to be depleted. And so we understand how these things tie together and we provide guidance to the students. So after we run, you know, some, we, we refer to them as experiences after we put the student through a series of experiences and ask them some questions about themselves in a, in a gamified way, it kind of, it's kind of a fun thing to do. Um, then we provide guidance to the student and, and help the student understand. We also provide that guidance to the teacher and it's not intrusive things um, that we're asking the student, but we're, we're asking questions to understand what their current state of mind is. And that guidance is what we're, we're all about. We want to provide direction to students, whether it be direction on how they're feeling and how they could change their outcomes or how they could ask um, a mentor, a parent, or a teacher about a problem, maybe how to deal with different situations that they're dealing with in school. So that that digital mentorship, if you will, that personalized mentorship that we're providing them, it all comes from child behavioral psychologists. And so we, we took the time to do the research work with a variety of researchers and provide that guidance directly to students. And, and in the onset of, of moving forward from understanding who you are, we're really trying to break down barriers of progress for the students through things like test preparation tools and engaging learning um, content that, that students could digest and really progress forward with. In a, in a, it all of a sudden takes the, the hardness out of, out of learning and it makes things a little bit easier the easier we can make that, the more progress we can we can provide for our students with our teachers. That's what we're all about doing, and that's what we're trying to, to do every day. That's a really interesting um, platform. I, it kind of reminds me of a conversation I had a few weeks ago with um, a well-being expert, Dr. Sadie Hollins, and we were discussing the fact that these initiatives exist in schools, like my own school at the moment, there are certainly initiatives to try and uh, reach out to students, but particularly in a international context, you do run into the the, the, the issue of certain uh, cultures that aren't as au fait or comfortable with speaking to a, a teacher about their feelings or their, their personal, I, I, know, I know it's a lot more um, kind of ubiquitous, maybe it's not that ubiquitous but it's a lot more common in the uk or the us to, to to share how you're feeling but yeah that's certainly something i'll be looking i'll look into the heartbeat um platform in terms of how we can roll that out for a pastoral well, pastoral uses yeah the, the funny thing you kind of you kind of mentioned there is like your comfort level of sharing how you feel so i i make jokes all the time with my i have four kids and uh and i have two high schoolers and a middle schooler and an elementary school age uh, kid. And so love all of them to death. None of them are going to share how they feel with me. Uh, they, they don't, they don't share how they feel. Like they won't, they won't talk to me per se about how they feel. Now, when they engage in heartbeat, I, I've actually had some personal experiences where this is actually the benefit of a digital tool and meeting students where they're at, which I think, you know, we realized this when we started building it, but we didn't realize the significance of it until we were done building it. So, um, a student, if a teacher asks a student questions about how they're feeling, they probably are not going to get that much of an answer. They're going to get the uh, kind of the basic level convenience answer, as I would kind of mm. refer to it, is like, yeah, I'm, everything's good, everything's awesome. Like it's it's you know you, you just get those basic responses. Now, when you put a put a student in front of Heartbeat and you present, we present six questions at a time. They can pick which question they want to answer. Um, the, the questions are non-intrusive and in some cases they have pictures that reference how they feel, uh, to express their emotions. It's extremely non-intrusive, but, but 
the thing that we've noticed is the kids that are engaging in the tool have been engaging during school hours and then they're coming back in on the weekend on their own. They're logging back in independently without being told to. Uh, we suggest that, you know, if a school is using Heartbeat, that they have a couple times a week that they have the students engage in the product because they only really only need five minutes to answer a few questions and um, five minutes to answer 30 questions, really. And so, so the concept of getting through a whole bunch of questions is pretty easy, but the students have been coming back in. And, and, then, and then even for my own kids, as an example, is uh, we recently moved into a new city a few years ago. And I, I, I you know, I, I thought I knew how my kids were feeling. I put my kids into heartbeat last year. And, um, just to see how things were kind of going, I was also just kind of telling them like, Hey, try the, try this out and tell me what you guys think of this. And, and, you know, share some of your feelings about, about how you like using it or don't like it. And, and so they went in there and they answered a bunch of questions. And I went into the insights and actions and heartbeat just to kind of understand how my daughter was feeling. And it actually pointed out that um, my daughter didn't feel a certain thing about how her parents, me and my wife were, were engaging with her. So I, without sharing too much detail, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I asked her about, about that. And kind of all of a sudden, I found myself in the middle of an emotional conversation with my daughter about how she was really feeling. And I, I was quite shocked. I was, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, not only am I eating my own dog food from a product perspective, but also like the concept of it being meaningful to our own family was really significant. And so a lot of lights turned on for me at that point in time, uh, personally, about how kids engage with technology a lot more without a lot, without a lot of barriers compared to communicating with other people easier. And so I, I think in some ways that you're definitely right. It's a regional global um, there's, there's differences in each country across, across the world, but, um, but the one similarity with, with all of the kids is the technological, uh, interaction. And so mm -hmm. that's the part that, that, it, that becomes quite similar. And it's, it's, it's been, it's been really insightful over the past, over the past while as we've progressed with that. Mm, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, that's certainly something I'll look into from a pastoral point of view, actually. Uh, anyway, in, in terms of the, um, the website specifically kind of talking about your ethos when it comes to education the site itself says that um, you're very keen to democratize education as much as possible what part does Schmoop have to play in this as well as maybe ed tech uh, more broadly in your opinion yeah I think it, it is definitely a team effort from an education perspective there's a lot of ed tech companies out there that are creating things that in some cases are very niche. They're very um, specific to maybe child development where kids might struggle, um, applications for uh, different different reasons, right? And so there's there's tons of tools out there because there's tons of need. Uh, when it comes to, you know, democratization, there's different like levels of democratization. One of them is, is you know, fiscal um, or economic that, that kind of... Um, create challenges across the world. Um, the, the concept of equalization of currency is not a thing. And I think it's probably, that's probably one negative outcome from this pandemic long-term that we're going to start to experience uh, after all the help that was kind of dispersed and needed across the world from a financial perspective of just shutting everything down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th there's going to be a bigger separation of 
of um, that concept of equality and equity, I think are going to get worse. I don't, I don't, I don't have all the problem, all, all the answers economically to deal with this, but the challenges are already getting worse in the United States. Uh, you know, home prices are increasing at an insane rate. I've never seen this before. I think my parents probably experienced this in the seventies, but um, that, that, you know, separation of, of just being able to progress financially is, is beginning has become harder. So in order for us to um, get involved, you know, there's a variety of projects that we, that, that I kind of personally work on here, here on the side that I, you know, I have, we haven't hired anyone per se to work on um, kind of like, I would say like projects to give back to society just because we're still small, relatively speaking. Um, some companies, big education companies have done a lot and provided a lot of money as they make more and more. And that's something we plan on doing as we progress our business forward. But from a timing perspective, these are things that, that, that we do. So there's a couple of projects, for example, that I'm working on right now, more than a time perspective, but actually providing educational resources to areas where things aren't, they're just not affordable. And, and when we think about affecting a community or improving poverty rates or the education, in my opinion, plays a huge part to help people get out of those, those situations that they're in. It's not the only thing, but um, we recently sat down and met with um, someone that I'm actually planning on meeting with here um, online in, in a few weeks. And I'll be sure to kind of share this, but um, his name is Brandon. He came out of the South side of Chicago um, and, and working with uh, an ex NFL player, um, a Super Bowl champion, Mike Singletary, in, in this project. And, and Mike had Brandon come into the room and kind of talk to all of us about what was needed in the community. Um, and, and so democratization really starts to kind of hit home in these, in these points. But there was a couple of things that Brandon said that kind of blew me away. He, he said two things. He said, Mike asked him, what are the two things that your community is lacking? And, and Brandon said, well, for one, I haven't even like left portions of, of the city that I live in, right? Like they, like mm-hmm. the, some of the people that live in those portions of the city don't ever leave the, that five, six block radius of, of where they live. Um, there's no transportation. There's no method of transportation. Um, average incomes are going down. And, and, and what he said the need was, was two things. One, access to healthy food. And uh, two, access to mental health and education tools. <laughs> so we, we kind of sat there like, all right, th- like this is what we're trying to trying to get done. Um, but mental health took priority over education, which I thought was super insightful of Brandon to communicate that. Like I, um, it, it just, it kind of blew me away that he was able to understand the needs of the community at the same rate that, you know, people have spent their lifetime understanding and doing research on how to improve outcomes for individuals in these communities. And so for him, it's just kind of second nature, right? But, but um, it was, it, it's from a schmoop perspective, these are things that we want to improve, you know, and, and Brandon's highlighted through COVID how um, the challenges of, of mental health have just substantially, you know, just gotten worse. And, these are things that have been getting worse. You know, student suicide rates have increased 55% in the last decade, but mm-hmm. through COVID, they're a little bit unknown because not all of it's been tallied up as, as far as what's been realized, but it, it has been realized that there's more violence 
Uh, murder rates in that portion of the city have gone up um, for a variety of reasons. There's um, there's also um, uh, suicide rates have increased quarter over quarter in those specific regions. And so as, as things just continue to become more challenging for people, mental health really does become the the first portions or the ability for someone to focus and to learn. And so it, that part of it, one is building products that help everybody, but then two is making those things accessible. And we've been able to work with companies that are either providing tools or, you know, we're a for-profit company. So we're not a nonprofit company. We're not taking, you know, donations to provide our product, to, to provide our product, but um, we've figured out ways to get that in the hands of schools to make it affordable and to, to be able to work with the school system to hit more of the population as we progress. And so it's, it's a real meaningful cause for us. And it's pretty exciting what we've, what we've been able to do just to this point, but we've got a lot more work to do as we progress. Yeah. It's um, that that's actually, yeah, very sort of, I suppose surprising is the right word in terms of the well-being point of view for like historical, the disparity between the students who would on average achieve the most and, and get furthest in life were usually privileged in terms of how many books mom and dad had at home or the, the education level of the parents. So the, the quality of talk that was happening in the household and stuff, but I never really thought that yeah, access to mental health or well-being was something which is probably, I suppose it is more readily available to people in middle class or high income um, households because it, it is still quite an expensive it doesn't need to be but it's seen as quite an expensive um um thing to try and uh, acquire so yeah that that's again excellent food for thought in terms of how to uh, help the students who are uh, sort of trying to make ends meet in the more challenging areas of society um yeah bringing it yep. sorry andy go on no i was just going to say the other thing in conjunction with you know, the cost is the accessibility, mm -hmm. right? And that's where the only way to reach students that don't leave a city block or a six radius city block is with technology because they actually mm -hmm. could never get anywhere to, to do some of those things, right? So that's the other half of, of it beyond just the cost of it. And, and so, yeah, there's there's some real challenges, but, but a lot of things can be done to help things progress. And that's, we, we just want to do as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of my interaction with um, the site specifically, it's I don't have uh, much kind of um, contact time with like the maths portion or the science portion or the social um, sort of sciences portion. Um, obviously, as an English teacher, I was most interested in you know looking up uh, things to do with um, books I was teaching or poetry or, or drama or whatever. I've always been interested to know. I know there's a little bit of literature on the site about who writes what, but who actually creates the content on Shmoop and yeah. what kind of educational mediation, going back to what you said before about meetings with different teams, is in place to ensure that the site stays abreast of different developments in literature or pedagogy? Yeah, for sure. So we have a variety of content on the platform. We have um, literary content. Uh, we have content that, you know, in literacy and beyond that, that aligns to some common standards of teaching. And there's obviously a variety of them, right? So we're trying to match uh, dozens of them <laughs> and more. So, um, but, but the concept of, of literacy, math, sciences, we also offer 
stuff that people don't even know uh, that, that we offer. We offer uh, finance content, um, financial mm-hmm. literacy content, everything from how to get your first you know, loan all the way through uh, you know, your first credit card to um, understanding how to read a balance sheet. Uh, at a company, right? So we also teach you how to how to start a business, um, kind of the entrepreneurship aspect of things that you would need to know to, to go do that. And and so the gamut of, of content covers a pretty wide span, which means the people who write our content have to come from different backgrounds. But but at the same time, we have a certain voice that we use in in all of our content that we provide our customers. And so the voice that we use is a little bit, it's a little bit humorous. It's a little bit snarky. It's a little, it's a little bit fun, uh, but, but that's all purposely placed, right? So how many, when you go read some smooth content, are you just going to get jokes? No, no you're actually going to get a lot of information mixed in with spattered, spattered content that, that creates uh, engaging humor through, through the whole thing and is, and is a little bit fun to read. Sometimes we even get carried away ourselves, and we got to revise some of our own some of our own content. But the people who write it, um, you know, that's that's the fun part, right? As you go write it, revise it, write it, revise it. Um, we we have a brilliant head of content here. Um, he's a Princeton graduate, um, and and the the concept of how we built our content over time has primarily come from Ivy League graduates from um, Stanford, Harvard, Princeton, um, people who who are you know, beyond graduate students have some experience teaching. We put them through a process of um, an audition. So we have them write some example content. We vet whether or not they can speak the Schmoop voice after receiving some basic kind of direction and training from us as far as how we write our content. We kind of give, we give our, a little portion of our IP away to each of our writers as we kind of share with them how we want the content written and how we think about it. Um, how much information needs to be communicated in a course um, or in a video. Uh, we have 400 courses and 10,000 videos. Um, and so the, the content as it's, as it's written is all predetermined as far as the needs of our audience. So we get feedback consistently from a product perspective. Um, and we also get it from a, um, from a content perspective and all the feedback. So if anyone's on our website, and they throw out a piece of feedback to us. They could rate the site. They can give us a piece of feedback. It all goes into, for those of you that are familiar with Slack, um, I see the feedback rolling in every minute. So we have 6 million users on our site and, and there's a lot of opinionated users, <laughs> which we love. We, 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 we love that. Um, not all the feedback's positive. Um, and so we take all that feedback and we, we don't just drop it there. We actually review the feedback. We categorize it with, with some automation in the product. And it allows us to develop or revise content based on that feedback. And so um, we release content um, after it's been vetted, reviewed, vetted and reviewed and vetted and reviewed. And then we, we, we post it and we host it. And so we update our content consistently. We have content roadmaps and plans as far as what we're trying to do as an organization mixed with what the current needs in the industry are. For example, um, we have a series of AP test prep products and there's content that's associated to test prep. And um, this last year, uh, it, all of that changed. Uh, the way that a AP exam was administered was different. The way that what questions were asked are different. How you responded to the questions were different. So we revised all of our content for AP several times this, this past year 
uh, in conjunction with all of those changes. So we're we're actively taking all that feedback. We're taking kind of the industry direction. We're we're taking what's going on in the world, and we're constantly updating and changing what we're doing. And that's our that's the brilliance behind our content team. And so uh, we have you know contract writers that work with Schmoop. Um, we've been working with them for you know Schmoop's now almost fifteen years old, and so a lot of these individuals we've been working with for over a decade. And so that's, that, that makes it a lot easier when you have kind of a book of writers that you, you know, and that have just gotten really good at speaking the Schmoop voice over the last 10 years. And, and that's kind of some of the brilliance behind what we, what we, what we offer in some of our content. So hopefully that provides you some insight. Yeah. I, for personally, I know we sort of spoke about this bit before um, the, the, the interview started, but I, I, I've always, I mean, I'm aware of, you know, your so-called competitors or, or, or co-content creators, I suppose, whatever kind of term you want to use for it. But I do like the fact that whereas some other websites, it can feel a little bit like A to B in terms of this is what you need to know for the exam, cram, 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 et cetera, et cetera. I do like that idea of Shmoop. Um, it, it's almost kind of, it it's exploring or um, portraying information, content, education in a way which is slightly, I think it's it's more on, it's in the same tone as some of the other stuff that you would see outside in the internet, whether it's not necessarily Reddit, but, you know, Twitter and uh, YouTube and these kind of platforms where students communicate with one another. And it, it kind of ingratiates them to the idea that, oh, you can speak about classical literature or canonical literature in a way which is a more 21st century tone. Um, and I've certainly kind of, I came across, um, I think there was a, there's a video on the site to do with the seven basic plots when it comes to literature. And it was like a six, seven minute video. And it's just such a brilliant way of explaining that concept to students in a way which is... Um, kind of uh, engaging and easy to understand, particularly considering the fact that that book originally written by uh, Christopher Booker is an absolute tome of a text. It's about seven, 800, 800 pages long. Um, and it's just an excellent, yeah, it's, it, it's such an excellent example of how it's making something which is can often be seen by some students as a little bit old-fashioned or a little bit traditional or a little bit you know out of to, to say the least right yeah, yeah, to say yeah. The least. i think the reality too is it's it's pretty amazing that you can you can take a piece of literature like that that's brilliant in its own right and you can add a reference to tiktok to make it relevant or yeah, you can more drop in a, a reference yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's some pretty cool things you could do with that stuff too um to, to make it and and once you have the reference and you understand what's being said in the text, all of a sudden you want to dig in and read a little bit more. Like you kind of want to, oh my gosh, like that's what they're saying, right? And so, mm. yeah, as soon as the light bulb moment happens, that that's the motivation to go drive. Hey, like let's let's read some more. And maybe it's not on Schmoop. Maybe that's on in the book, right? And so, mm. but wherever it is, like we we just want to encourage that 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 good behavior, right? Yeah, that can be quite hard. I think every teacher in, in their heart of hearts knows that they are not as kind of 
um, in touch with what the uh, you know young people are um, interested in and what current trends are and what's in the zeitgeist for teenagers. But um, Shmoop certainly yeah. kind of helps to bridge that gap between um, for sure what they're talking about and what they're watching and, and what we want them to learn about, which is important. In terms of that, just the last question for you, Andy. What what are the aspirations for the company? moving forward in terms of 2022, 2023. Um, what does that hold for you all over at Schmoot? Yeah, well, obviously we want to reach more students. And so the, the way that we're progressing doing that is we, we've really uh, focused our, our efforts on, you know, we, we have a ton of brilliant content. We're going to continue to develop tons more brilliant content. We're going to focus on, you know, the, the demand of of content was high in 2020, especially from an online perspective, which kind of just brought in the concept of personalized engaging learning in the classroom. So we'll continue to develop, you know, and focus our product focus on making content easier to find, making content um, more relevant, making content, um, you know, dispersable and maybe more bite-sized chunks. Um, but then also from, you know, the, the other demand at this point, especially this year, and I think probably for the next few years is, is, you know, test prep becomes a significant challenge because of the learning gaps that have been experienced over the last while. So we're, we're, we're going to be continuing our development processes there. Our, our test preparation tools are, you know, luckily we're on like on version six of our tools, the concept of understanding and assessing where a student's at. So they don't have to just read a whole prep manual on test prep is not, is not fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, but preparing is also important because you have to, it's a tool of measurement and that's what's in, it's what, what's what our society does right now, right. Of how we measure someone's skill sets. And so we can, we have the ability of helping someone prepare in much less time and having them just be much more prepared for that test. And then last but not least, and, and the, the majority of our efforts are going to continue to focus on increased development of things like heartbeat, more guidance, more mentorship, more direction on where um, the tools are. And, and really this all what all this comes down to is we need to get our tools in the hands of more schools um, and, and more middle schools, more high schools, you know, university levels. To, and, and so in order to do this, this requires um, more marketing. It requires more communication from, from sales teams. And so all these areas are things that we're going to continue to invest in. And our, our business from a from a business perspective, you know, we're looking at almost doubling the size of our business, um, you know, from 2020 to 2021. And we're, we don't, we're, we're not in the market of building like tremendous profits for our company. In fact, we're still taking more money than we're making and we're investing that in the product, um, which isn't what a shareholder necessarily <laughs> wants to see, but we're all about growth and progress right now. And so we see that happening for, several years as we, as we progress forward. And we're really excited about that. We're excited about the growth that we're experiencing. You know, we experienced in 2019 to 2020, and then also 2020 to 2021 as, as schools continue to invest in their students. And so, yeah, a lot of exciting things, I would say not on all fronts, but, but, you know, from a product development, content build and sales pipeline build at the company, that's really what we're focused on to, to provide continued growth to, to the business. So. Fantastic. Okay. Well, all it remains for me to say, Andy, is thank you very much for your support over the years in terms of Schmoop's um, um, kind of ability to uh, create interest and um, education for the students, certainly in my classes and 
hopefully we can see um, an increased use of your heartbeat and the well-being stuff all over the world to try and uh, supplement some of the mental health issues that we're seeing uh, during the pandemic. So thank you very much for your time today and your insights. I appreciate it. It's, it's been so awesome to meet with you and, and look forward to the future. Cheers.